Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hey everybody, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. Thank you so very much for being here. I do appreciate you. And uh, as always, feel free to drop me an email, jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. If you have any questions or if I get it wrong, don't hesitate to let me know. And uh, we're going to jump right in here. We got uh, episode 26, Prepping Your Gear for the Spring. You know, in general, this sounds like something that's pretty straightforward, right? You know, you have all your gear that you use all the time. You're going to use the same gear this year as you did last year. It's you know it's not rocket science or anything, but there are a couple of things that you're going to want to uh, keep in mind and be thinking about as you go into the next season. So we're going to cover those today, and then we'll get things teed up for next week. We've got a couple of listener emails, and we'll get it all knocked out today. So let's jump right in here. So I was down at the apiary this week, and it looks like it is almost springtime. You wouldn't know that by the, uh, the sleet that we had today and the... 30 some degrees but yeah last week we uh had some 70s and the bees were flying it it wasn't just like a warm day where the bees were active and it was neat to see them active i mean there were massive quantities of bees so it looks like the colonies have overwintered successfully and uh we're looking forward to uh looking forward to the spring flow here so that's a good thing one thing you might want to do or consider doing is if you go to pollen.com you can sign up for their daily pollen alerts based on your zip code. For me, this is sort of my like Zyrtec advanced warning email. So you go all winter long and, you know, you don't think about it. You don't worry about it. And then you see that email pop up and, you know, okay, it's time to start taking the uh, taking the Zyrtec. But yeah, where I am, it starts off with, what, juniper, cedar, maple, elm. Uh, one or two other ones that tend to come out pretty early around this time of year. So... I'm getting the emails every day. I'm taking my Zyrtec every day, and, and hopefully that'll all work out. Okay. So with your gear, I think that, you know, one of the first things you want to do is just maintain some basic accountability, right? You know, hopefully you're far more organized or even 10 or 15% more organized than me, and you'll be well ahead of the game. But ideally, you'll have all of your things in roughly one area. Mine tends to be scattered throughout three or four different areas at a time. You know, pretty much wherever I go, it looks like a tornado has come through and there's crap everywhere. So that's just the story of my life. But anyway, with the gear, ideally you have it in one place and it's easier to track down. So same things as last year. You're going to grab your smoker, open it up, make sure you don't have any residual ashes and things in there. Clean it up a little bit. Pretty straightforward. Same thing with the hive tool, right? You probably got a little bit of old propolis on it. 
you know, nothing, nothing too much to do there. The things that are going to be really important are going to be the, the protective gear that you put on. Now, like I've mentioned, I've pretty much taken everything off except for a veil or a light jacket that I wear. But, you know, a lot of people are covered head to toe, completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But look at all your gear. You're going to want to inspect everything for rips, tears, holes, anything that needs to be fixed, anything that maybe needs to be replaced. Um, I, I bring this up because of an actual experience I had where I had a veil and I had inadvertently set something on top of it and it kind of crushed the screen on the front of the veil. And I noticed it, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. And I could tell that it was that the metal had been fatigued and that it was probably going to you know, end up opening up. And I took a piece of wire I had laying around and I threw it in there and kind of wired it shut real quick. And I didn't really think about it. And at the end of the season, I irritated a bee. This is going back, I don't know, probably seven or eight years ago. But at the end of the season, I irritated a bee. And I hadn't been looking at it or really keeping a close eye on that hole. And, and it had opened up a lot more than it really should have been. One got in, and she kind of let me know that it was time to do some maintenance. So uh, I appreciate her help with that one. But again, don't be like me, right? Inspect your equipment, go through everything and, and look for places. Because if you don't take the time to find out where the holes are, you don't really have to worry. They'll find it for you and they'll let you know where they are. So you can kind of decide which way you want to go with that. So outside of general accountability, right? So you, know, you got your, your veil and your jacket and your coveralls and hive tool smoker, you know, whatever else you, you need to do your inspections and everything. Now let's get to the actual you know, hive components, parts and pieces and everything that you might have laying around. So depending on how you overwintered everything, you just might have a few, you know, extra spare parts that are laying around. It's a good time to go through and just take the hive tool, scrape off any excess propolis, make sure that everything looks good. If there's any painting that needs to be done, you know, maybe you got a couple of chips here and there, go ahead and do a little bit of touch up, maybe paint, repaint the whole thing, depending on how long it's been since you last painted, right? So get your paint touched up and squared away. Uh, another thing that I can I can tell you is over time, you know, you're dealing with these wooden boxes and sometimes they get wet, they dry, they're in the sun, you know, they expand, they contract, there's a lot of movement. Sometimes the corners can do some funky things. Sometimes one piece of wood will slide up or down, causing a little bit of a ridge. Sometimes they'll kind of peel out a little bit, leaving a gap. What I usually do, this is again in, in the off season here, this is a great time to maybe get a little bit of wood filler and fill those in, let it dry, and then sand it down. If you have a, a situation where, let's say, for example, the front or the back piece of wood is sitting higher than the sides, you can get a sanding block, and you can just kind of sand that down a little bit and flatten it. It doesn't have to be perfect because, you know, as we know, right, the bees are going to come through, and they're going to propolize everything shut anyway. So they'll, they'll repair it and make it nice and pretty. But ideally, you don't want to have to make more work for them if that's not necessary, right? It's just a regular good you know, routine maintenance kind of thing to do. So you take your hive tool, you're scraping everything up. And, you know, when it comes to propolis, like if you have like an old deep or an old you know, medium, whatever it might be, the rails where the frames sit, they tend to get a lot of propolis on those. You don't have to remove it, right? The, the objective is not, I have to remove every piece of propolis that's in the entire hive body. That's not necessary. You just need to create enough room so that you can move frames. You can kind of slide them you know, up and down and easily move them inside the box itself without them getting hung up on, you know, big clumps of propolis. So that's, that's really all you're trying to do is just clean them up a little bit, get some of the rough spots out. Same thing on the frames. 
you know, having that propolis on there gives that natural scent and feel, and it makes, you know, it's really good for acceptance if you're starting a new colony, you know, or if you're adding new hardware, the bees kind of recognize that that's a place where bees are supposed to be anyway. So you don't, the objective again is not to completely remove all of it. Now, when we talk about the foundation, let's just talk about a, like a wooden frame with wax foundation. There are kind of different schools of thought on how often you should replace the comb. In general, for me, I really haven't set a clock. You know, I don't write the year on the side of the frame and then say, okay, it's been five years. I'm going to replace this frame. I really just kind of do it by look and feel. Your brood frames are going to be much darker. They're going to be, you know, really dark in color and um, that's pretty normal. They'll darken over time. What I would suggest and what I've done is when they get really dark and they kind of get brittle, right? They get to the point where, you know, if you press on them lightly, it doesn't give, it's not flexible anymore. It just kind of falls apart. That's a pretty good indicator, right? That's a good indicator that uh, it's time to replace this and let the bees make some good, clean foundation. You know, the foundation will hold a lot of history in it, right? So anything that's bad or good, whatever it might be, it'll stay in that foundation for a long time. That goes for diseases, bacteria, virus, illness, anything that can be bad can get locked into that comb. So particularly where you really want to be aggressive is if you had any frames where you had foul brew, those are getting burned right away. Just burn them, you're done with it, right? When you think about, oh man, I don't want to have to burn this frame. What is it, like a 4 or $5 frame, right? Just burn it. When you look at the investment that you're making in your colonies, and, you know, getting the bees, getting them established, feeding them, taking care of them, loving them and all that kind of stuff. And then you're going to let your colony, you know, go there in a handbasket because you didn't replace a $5 frame. Replace the frame, get rid of it and just be safe. Another scenario where I recommend replacing it, it happens to me every year. You get, for whatever reason, a couple of frames line up in a certain way. And the bees will decide to draw one, you know, they'll draw the comb out. And then instead of drawing the next section of comb on the next frame... They bring it off of that frame and then straight down. So you end up pulling one frame out that actually has two layers of comb on it. They're doing things on the front and the back, and it, it just becomes really disastrous. My rule with that is if I can't pull that frame out and put it into any other single frame slot in that or any other box, then that needs to go. A lot of times what ends up happening is I have to take a frame out to make extra space for this big goofy frame they've drawn up, and it's just kind of obnoxious. You know, and again, you're keeping the frame, you're just cutting out the wax and you're putting in new foundation. Or whether it's a wooden frame with plastic foundation or it's an all plastic frame, this would kind of apply either way. But this is super easy. You just grab your hive tool, scrape off everything. And then what I usually do is once I've, I've scraped everything off of them, I'll toss them in the freezer for three days. That's kind of my the general rule, right? 72 hours, three days in the freezer. And then I take them out. And I'll let them sit in the sun for a couple of hours and kind of, you know, get melted a little bit. And I'll scrape off whatever residual stuff is left, flip it over the same thing, you know, let that sun melt whatever wax might be left on there and just kind of scrape it off. And then I'll just stick them in a bucket, you know, warm water and a a scrubber, one of those little bathroom scrubber kind of things. And just scrub them down, get everything, all the excess off of them. And, then you know, they're ready to go back in the hive. You know, another scenario, too, where you would probably want to go ahead and and just replace that foundation is if you have one that, for whatever reason, you know, maybe you had a, you know, drone-laying queen or a laying worker or uh, for whatever reason, they just laid up a ton of drone brood. You know, the drone brood is deeper than your regular worker brood. 
And that can sort of reduce your working room a little bit too inside the colony. So that might be a, a section you can cut, either cut out a section or the whole thing. Um, a lot of people like to use starter strips. They'll just take a frame and then across the top, they'll do like a one inch piece of wax to kind of get things started, wax foundation. You can do that or you can just leave the old wax and let them draw a new wax down. You know, whatever works for you. I generally, if I'm going to cut off 95% of it, you might as well take the rest off and then either put a starter strip in or let them do it on their own. Okay, so there's a few areas where you see that you, you know, you probably should think about replacing the foundation. But I'll still give you the generic rule, right? If you do search, if you search online, you look around, some people are going to say, oh, you know, replace it every three years. Some people are going to say five years. Like everything else, man, the bees are very adaptable. As long as you're not propagating disease and illness and keeping things in there that are going to be detrimental to them, for the most part, they're going to kind of figure things out on their own. Just don't do something that will contribute to the to an unhealthy environment. When in doubt, replace it, right? I mean, I think I haven't bought wax foundation in a while. I've got so much. i got a surplus that I'm holding on to right now. But I think they're probably somewhere between a buck and a buck fifty a piece, something like that. So maybe if you're going to spend 20 bucks a season to put new foundation in if you need to, right? 10 or $20. So if you don't like the look of the comb for whatever reason, then replace it, right? But remember, there's some energy that goes into that, right? In the spring, the bees will draw up comb like nobody's business. When there's a good nectar flow on, they can draw out an entire deep really, really quickly. But it's still a lot of work and resources and energy. So if you can give them, you know, if you have two deeps and you got 20 frames, if you can give them 10 or 12 frames that they don't have to draw up, they're just that much further ahead of the game. So... You'll, and you'll figure these things out as time goes by. As you do more and more, you have more and more seasons under your belt, more and more exposure, you get into more colonies, you're doing more inspections, you'll start to kind of figure out what makes sense and what's going to work best for you. But a key, and I harp on this a lot, documentation, right? Bring a notepad and um, you know make notes, keep track of what's going on, and uh, you can always look back to it years later, right? I still look back on some things, from years ago. A lot of them were really bad mistakes. So I don't use them for a lot of reference today, but it's always good for a laugh to look back and say, wow, I actually did that. That's good. But uh, And you can do the same thing, right? Make some notes now about what you did, and then you can laugh at yourself years later. One suggestion I will add, though, is you know, you don't always have the fortune of having a helper or having someone else there with you to take notes. And when you've got your gloves on and you're in the hive and you're doing an inspection, Sometimes taking notes with a pen and paper can be pretty difficult. So I have a couple recommendations for you. One thing you could do is you could actually set up a little camcorder or nowadays a phone or anything that can record. And you can actually record yourself while you're doing the inspection. You can kind of talk through it and say, okay, I'm opening up, you know, this colony. It's colony number one and I'm removing this. And you can talk through the inspection as you're doing it so that you'll know what you need to document when you watch it later. That's kind of one way you can do things. Another option would be to take your phone and start a voice memo right before you begin your inspection. So you hit the voice memo button, you put your gloves on, set your phone aside, and then just talk into it and say, okay, I'm looking at frame number one. Uh, it looks like it's just regular wax foundation. Don't see anything else. I'm going to put that back or put it to the side. And now I'm going over to frame number two. And then again, you can transcribe your notes later on. A uh, third option is something else uh, that I've actually used in a different area, not in beekeeping, but I think it could be really applicable. It is a Bluetooth device that you can clip on to your shirt. You can kind of clip it on your shirt under 
whatever kind of overgarment you might have, or you can even clip it to the outside. The bees aren't going to hurt it and it won't hurt them. But it's basically kind of like a Bluetooth mic. So you can sync it up to your phone and then you can start talking into it and it will record everything you say and it'll send that track over to your phone and then you can play it back later on. So just kind of a couple of ideas for ways that you can take notes when you don't have a second helper there to do it for you. Hey, everyone, thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there, and I appreciate you. We will be right back. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. All right, so let's jump in here and talk about some listener emails. So the first one I want to talk about is from a gentleman named John and uh, John, you know, very respectfully kind of beat me up a little bit about um, my position on Varroa sensitive hygiene. So your, your VSH queens and colonies that are out there that are, uh, that I basically had indicated were alleged to have created a Varroa mite resistance. So the kind of background here is, you know, Varroa mites are a real serious problem for beekeeping you know, across the world. It's not impacting every part of the world, but it's, it's in a lot of places and it's very disruptive. It's something that, you know, opens the door up to other illness, weakens the colony, making, makes them more susceptible to other, other things, uh, other disease. So, you know, my position for a long time was, um, yeah, it's great to hear about people saying that they have this genetic trait that they've been breeding their Queens for, but I was a little bit skeptical about it. But one of the bigger reasons that I tried to steer people away from it was because I, I don't 
like the idea of oversimplifying it. I don't like the idea of saying, hey, you can buy these varroa-resistant uh, queens or colonies, and you don't have to worry about varroa. And then you bring them in, and everything's fine, and you're, as a new beekeeper, you get all these things on your mind, and you're thinking, well, at least I don't have to worry about varroa. And then something happens, and you get varroa, and you lose your colony. You're like, how did that happen? I don't understand how that happened. They're varroa-resistant. So the reason that I would steer someone away from getting you know VSH queens and colonies isn't because I don't think it's viable and it isn't because I don't think it can work. I, I know that it's something that has been done for a long time. Um, I guess where I, where I really have been hung up on it is let's say I'm a you know, commercial beekeeper. I have a queen breeding program and I have these queens that are VSH queens and I can control everything. When I have new virgin queens that are coming out, I have artificial insemination with drones that are known to be carrying this VSH quality of hygiene, and I can control all aspects of the mating. I know that this trait, there's you know a 99.459s kind of percent chance that they're going to get those mite-resistant traits. But that doesn't really work as well outside of the lab or that controlled setting or that controlled environment. In the wild, if I have a colony that is a VSH colony and they do great against mites and then I decide I'm going to have a split that spring, queen cells show up, I take those queen cells, I move them over to a new colony and everything's going great, virgin queens are born, they go out, now they're mating with drones in the wild. I have no idea where those drones came from and I'd be willing to bet that statistically speaking the odds are pretty good that they're not going to mate with a VSH drone and thereby the, whether or not they have those traits and characteristics is really kind of a, a coin toss. I just thought that it might be setting people up for failure by saying, hey, this is something you should look at. But the other bigger reason that I didn't steer anybody that direction is I heard somebody do a talk on this a long time ago and they were going through the process, explaining everything, and they were talking about how they'd been doing this for 20 years. I was a little skeptical, but I still thought it was really cool. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go to their website and see what kind of deal I can get on these because that's really worth checking out. And if I remember correctly, it was something like $350 or $400 for a queen. And I just thought, you know, I can buy two nukes for that price and the treatment for Varroa Forum and it's still cheaper, and I just couldn't justify that expense. That's Honestly, that's what irritated me. I was pretty irritated about like, why in the world would you charge that much when there's a really viable option? And I think the idea behind it was we're going to get you these super top-notch, highly productive VSH queens, and we're going to you know send them to your commercial apiary, and it's going to solve all the world's problems for you. And as a commercial beekeeper... You don't have to worry about Vero anymore. I think maybe that was the way they were trying to position it, but it really kind of turned me off because, you know, I think at the time I had about 20 hives and I just thought this doesn't really make sense to me. I'm not going to do this. So again, I was trying not to steer somebody in a direction where they would feel forced to make a really big investment and maybe not necessarily be guaranteed the return they expected to get. That being said, I have done a little bit of research recently I have found a couple of different places that are offering really reasonable prices for queens. Now, I'm not interested in um, you know, buying nukes or package bees, but I'm definitely interested in making some, um, some splits this spring 
using some of these queens. So I'm going to order some within the next couple of days. I'm probably going to get maybe about 20 or 25 and I'll just, you know, I'll document everything. I'll keep track of them and we'll see how it goes. But anyway, so, so John was right in kind of calling me out there. I really wasn't fair about it and I don't think I provided all the information. So I, I do apologize for that. You know, I think that when I first started doing this podcast, I didn't start doing it with the intent to say, I'm the best at everything in beekeeping. I'm so great. I'm so amazing. Let me share my amazing gifts and talents with you. It was a, it was more of a scenario where I thought, hey, you know, I'm really enjoying this and I made a lot of mistakes. Let, let's see if I can help a few other people, you know, along the way who are just getting started and continue to learn and continue to grow. And I think that's part of the process. So, John, again, I appreciate you sharing, sharing your email and your thoughts with me. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to be doing a little more research. And with that, too, John also provided us with some information on someone who we might be able to get on who can talk to us a little bit about that. So if that works out, that'd be great. If not, I will track someone down who can maybe talk to us a little bit more about queen rearing and you know breeding for VSH traits and you know any information we can get. I think it's great for everyone to have it. And I'm very excited about it. So thanks a lot. Okay. And uh, we have another email to you. Now, this is a, a follow-up um, I'm going to dig more into this next week. So I'm not going to go too far in it right now, but we have Karina down in the, in the South in the U S and down there. I mean, things are getting really busy already. The nectar flow is kicking in. Uh, she's already concerned about swarming. I think she maybe even knows a few folks who've already had some swarms and she's getting ready to kind of do some splits this year. So her and I had a good email exchange about that. I'm going to share that information with you probably about two episodes out from now, because the next episode we're going to do is, opening the hives for the first time this spring and a list of all the things you need to do, the things you need to be looking for, the things you need to be thinking about. And then beyond that episode, we're going to have one talking about splits. So if you decide you're going down the path of, okay, you know, I had two colonies, I overwintered one, one of them didn't make it for whatever reason, I'm going to split my primary remaining colony and we're going to split them this spring. What do I need to do to make that happen? And do I want to maybe split twice or even three times, right? So depending on the size of your colony, I've, you know, I've done four or five splits off a single colony several times before. It's not uncommon. So we're going to go through all that stuff in the uh, next couple of weeks. Okay, you know, it just dawned on me that I forgot to cover something earlier on. So we're going to go back. I'll do a little bit of a quick recap here. And then I want to talk about one more thing. So remember, we talked about making sure all your protective gear is clean. It's free of holes, tears, rips, and all that. It's all ready to go. You've got hood, hats, gloves, you know, whatever you need to do your inspection safely. You've got your hive tool. You've checked out all your equipment. You've made sure that the hives are painted, the hive bodies and everything are painted. There aren't a lot of holes or cracks or anything that might let other, you know, other bugs or other things into the the colony. We've talked about the frames, prepping any spare frames you might have, making sure that you're not putting anything diseased into the colony to start the year off. So now what I want to do is talk about planning this season for what might be coming. And what I mean is you formulating a plan for how you're going to go about your season. So by this point in the year, you're probably going to know if your bees are going to make it. So let's say you had two colonies. If you catch a warm day and you see bees coming in and out, pretty good chance they're going to make it, right? I mean, the bulk of the wintertime is behind us. Depending on where you live, if you're still in a northern area or in a climate where it's still going to be cold for a little while, you may need to, you know, you may not know quite yet. But generally speaking, at least where I am and and further south, you kind of know by now if they're going to make it. 
So this is a good time to start thinking, okay, I've got two colonies, let's say the same scenario as before. I've got two. One of them definitely didn't make it. One of them did. Do I want to split that colony? Do I want to just try and have one really, really big, strong colony? Do I split multiple times? And the reason you want to start thinking about this is to start getting all the other hardware ready to go. And what I mean is your bottom boards, um, your stands, any extra hive bodies, any frames, inner covers, outer covers, whether you're using a telescoping cover or the migratory cover, any you know anything like that that you might need to physically put the colony together, feed it if you're using top feeders, frame feeders. Be thinking about what your plans might be. And if you have any doubts, if you're like, man, I really don't know what I want to do, I'm not sure, just get some extra stuff. Or if you can't get it or you can't afford it or you don't have access to it, or you're still really on the fence and you just don't know that you want to put your money in that area right now, talk to people that you know who are beekeeping. Talk to someone in the bee club. See what the availability of hardware is. Because if you start getting into the spring and all of a sudden you say, oh, crap, I need to do a split. And then you don't have anything and then there's back ordered in different places or there's a supply chain issue or there are truckers who have decided that they're not going to be delivering this week because they're somewhere else or whatever else might come up that could cause you to not have the hardware you need. Maybe start doing the research now to see what those turnaround times are looking like. Like for me, as an example, if I were a brand new beekeeper in this area, I would ask somebody at the bee club, hey, does somebody have some things I can either borrow or buy from them, right? Or, um, you know, if someone's local here and they need something, I've got, you know, hundreds of high bodies and frames and stuff I could loan somebody if I needed to. So you might have somebody like that in your bee club or in your area as well. So you know, just something to keep in mind. So like I said, we'll, we'll talk about that a little more next week when we talk about opening the hives for the first time and some of the things that we're going to look for. But I just kind of start getting your head ready for, you know, plan for the unplanned, plan for the unexpected. And, uh, you know, get ready for an exciting season here. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I recognize that, you know, there are a lot of moving parts here. You're coming into year two or for some of you, you know, who are going into your first year and you're just kind of catching up on all the information. There's a lot of stuff going on, right? So I, I get it. And if you have any questions or you run into a roadblock and someone from your bee club is not available or you can't find a bee club, shoot me an email, jeff at beekeepingfornewbees.com. I'm always happy to, uh, you know, try and lend you a hand, give you some guidance. But really, this is one of the things where during the off season and during this downtime, just, you know, watch some videos. Go to YouTube, watch some good videos from, you know, Michael Palmer or Stepler Farms, Barnyard Bees. Um, I can't think of that gentleman's name from Canada, the uh, young man, Devin, Devin something or other. There's so many great beekeepers out there. Just, you know, stay on top of your game. Keep reading, keep listening, keep learning. And, you know, just try to stay one step ahead of things because, you know, the bees are outside. They're in nature. There's a lot of stuff going on in the weather. And there's always something that's going to be trying to hold us back. So, uh you know, let the, let the gears start turning in your mind and we'll get ready for an exciting season. So folks, I'm going to wrap things up today. As always, feel free to drop me an email if you have any questions and uh, keep the folks out in Europe and your thoughts and prayers here. Hopefully they'll get it all figured out out there and uh, we can save the world. All right, folks, take care.
know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.